All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. Best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you want to trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Missouri's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2BitIdiots. And I'm here with Bob Somerville, who's the executive director of the ETC Cooperative. Uh, Big Daddy Emperor and uh, CEO, CEO, CEO of, of Ethereum Classic, Classic right. as, as you mentioned right before we flipped on the camera. We are here in Osaka uh, at DevCon 5 where a typhoon that I think is about a Category 6 is about to bear down on us. So uh, if this never actually makes it uh, to its publication date, then, then that's why. Find it in a bottle floating <laughs> on the ocean years later. Um, we're going to try to escape from Osaka before uh, before the, the, the typhoon just ransacks everything. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to talk a bit about Ethereum Classic. So uh, Ethereum Classic is uh, the original Ethereum blockchain. Um, for those that are newer to the industry or unfamiliar, is the result of a hard fork uh, following the hack of the DAO, the first and, and original uh, decentralized autonomous organization, which lost how much money in a hack? A lot. A lot of 60 money. million, maybe? Uh, 60, I think it was, it was it, At the time, it was a sizable chunk of the outstanding ether. Uh, this well, the, the DAO was by far the largest crowdfunding mm-hmm. there'd been at the time. Yes. I remember looking at Wikipedia, and you know, it was all like Kickstarter projects. Yeah, a multiple of what had been raised in the original Ethereum right. crowd sale. Um, but we're not, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the evolution of Ethereum Classic, but, um, but, but for the most part, I think the reason that it's most interesting now is A, because Bob and, and, and some other members of the team um, are going to provide some updates in, in terms of what's been going on more recently, um, and B, the Ethereum 1 to 2.0 uh, transition is uh, far from a sure thing. It's going to happen over a multi-year period, and, and one of the most uh, critical components of the update is the transition from proof of work, uh, which Ethereum Classic is still and will be based on, uh, to proof of stake. So we're going to talk a little bit about that technically, what it means for the ecosystem, what it means for security, um, but also just more generally uh, how the two communities cooperate, uh, compete, as Ethereum Classic is ironically enough one of the title sponsors this year. Uh, uh, well, ETC Labs, Labs are, yes. ETC Labs, yep. um, which you're not the CEO of. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but before we get into all that, Bob, um, how do we get here? You know, to talk a little bit about your backgrounds um, and you know, specifically your, your kind of path within Ethereum and, and how you got to be uh, such an integral player um, in both ecosystems, but certainly these days more and more on the Ethereum Classic side. Sure. Um, so my career, um, prior to my involvement with Ethereum was uh, in the video games industry. Um, I I actually worked there for 18 years, 15 plus years at Electronic Arts, uh, mainly working on EA Sports titles, uh, FIFA, NBA, NHL, Central Technology, 
um, collaboration projects, architecture, DevOps, all that stuff. Um, I, I was actually the, the peak of my career there. I was the uh, software architect for the whole of EA Sports. So, uh, you know, architectural oversight for all code of all EA Sports titles in the whole world, everywhere, all platforms. Um, and I, but in 2014, I kind of decided that personal freedom was more important than anything else and that working within a large corporation that doesn't love you um, and doesn't let you have a voice um, and doesn't let you do open source and would seek to stop you doing side projects was not a good trade-off for me anymore so I left. Um, I was actually working on uh, sort of Unity games like mobile mobile games and really getting into wearables you know you've got smart watches and stuff at that point. Um, I met a guy called David Lowy in Vancouver in a pub in Kisilano where I live and he basically gave me you know on this random evening in, uh, in February 2014 uh, just hey have you heard about Bitcoin have you you know and, and really talking through beyond that pure monetary thing well what if you could what if you could do stock exchanges what if you could do insurance what if you could do supply chains and shipping and and really, like, wow, we've got an opportunity to like rewire the whole world here. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just prior to that, after the financial crisis, I'd gone into quite a dark place of thinking, well, what's going? You know, how can you, how can you have these, you know, the elites controlling us and the the sovereign debt crisis, and how do, how does all this stuff work? And uh, you know that the, the climate crisis and everything just thinking you know the world is screwed we're just pockets you know and there's nothing that we can do to fight back because of all these institutions with their hierarchical form and haven't got anything so it was like wow this is a revelation i i can code i can help uh, you know maybe i can actually do a proactive thing to to make a better future mm -hmm. so um so david um actually introduced me to vitalik in july 2014 um uh, so the foundation had been started but the grand sale hadn't gone on and vitalik was having a day with david who like me is you know a gray-haired dude in his 40s with a bit of life experience who could give a bit of counsel and, and help to the to, you know 19 year old Vitalik. Mm -hmm. uh, so David just said uh, you know set up a meal where various blockchain -y people in Vancouver got to meet Vitalik. And were you still at EA at that point? No, I left. You just left. Okay. Oh, actually, no, I'm not. I was still at EA at that point for another four months. No, I just left by a month. I left in June, and this was July. So, so I just left, yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, but I was really, I was still doing sort of game stuff, but mobile game stuff. With, what, what were your first impressions of Vitalik? Was he the only person from Ethereum? Because there yeah. was a small crew um, that yeah, he was the only one for six months. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were plenty around, but yeah, no, it was just him coming through. And it's like, wow, you know, here's, here's a genius. But, uh, I mean, the uh, my own focus really was on my own sort of trajectory and mobile and, and so on and, and I didn't see like I can't there's no job here for me you know it's kind of interesting this is happening and it's great and I'm going to follow along but uh, and I remember actually saying to him at the time scaling okay so in a world where nobody wants to run their own computers and it's all cloud at mass scale you know you just rent that stuff you don't want to be running your own hardware because here you go you've got millions of machines running you've got this reversion to here is a single threaded computer for the whole world mm -hmm. which you run locally very very expensively and it's like the compute power of the like 1980s IBM or so and, and it's like it's very interesting that, that you could do that and it is really you know you can build this decentralized world computer but is it any more than a toy um, and you know his, his he was saying well we've got some ideas with charting and proof of stake um, and it's like, well, you know, good luck, young man. Uh, and I went on with my life. But in 2015, I, um, I had my first ever real job, in quotes, where I joined uh, TV Securities, part of TV Bank Group um, in Toronto. I had a six-month contract as a DevOps solutions architect, uh, basically helping them with the cloud adoption. They've got a private cloud, and it's like, okay, we've got a cloud, we can deploy things. Oh, but we don't know how to deploy things. We don't know how to do agile. We don't know how to do DevOps. 
So it was like, funnily enough, okay, what we'll do is we'll hire someone from the games industry because they're actually more professional than us in the meaning of professional knowing how to do your profession yes. not suit and tie yeah. actual professional ability so while I was there I took the opportunity to go to a bunch of meetups and Toronto you know it's orders magnitude bigger you know and, and really that's where Ethereum started you know in, well, yeah, in, in, in Decentral with Anthony Diorio where Anthony Joe's and, and right Joe was there. So Vitalik had been working with Anthony. They were doing like a crypto kit or something. They'd got a web wallet. Um, you know, Vitalik had been working. You've got people working out of, out of Decentral. Like you've got, um, you know, Jeff Coleman. Uh, you've got sort of Ethan Buckman and the other guys from just out. The 75 other co-founders of Ethereum. Well, there were not so many, but you, you know, you had you had basically the the, the you know the Bitcoin crew in Toronto, but really combined with the people that were doing like Bitcoin 2.0, you know, all of the stuff about colored coins and master coin and talk about side chains and Ripple was there at the time and not horrible Ripple, you know, like Ripple was a legitimate thing at that point, right? You know, the the what's his name Fuller, you know, the earlier one. Um, you know, David, for example, was, was uh, they were doing stuff on Ripple. It's like, right, we could run a, a, a Ripple gateway. Uh, David was actually a co-founder of CoinPayments.net, which is, you know, one of the biggest kind of, uh, you know, merchandise kind of, you know, accept altcoin payments on your website kind of solutions. So he was a co-founder on that now. You know, there's a lot going on. So when I moved to Toronto, you had got the launch of the mainnet. It was Frontier. So July uh, 2015, it's like, Christ, these guys, they've launched it, the mainnet's launching. You know, in that year, you've gone from a white paper to your shipping. And what I felt at that point is I can't not get involved. It's like, it's like if you'd met Linus Torvalds and he goes, I'm doing this Linux thing on the side, you know, it's just for fun. But, but hey, Bob, you know C++, you, you could, could you maybe like help me hack on this a bit? You know, would that have been fun? Would that have maybe been a fantastic, you know, sort of like career building thing? And even if it didn't work, it would have been, you know, an experience. And, and I felt it was like that. It was like meeting Linux Torvalds when Linux was starting or meeting, um, um, you know, being there at the start of the web, right? meeting Tim Berners-Lee. Hey, Bob, you know, I'm just about to launch this, you know, this like web thing, you know, do you, want help? Help? Yeah. do you want to help? Would, Would that, that have been fun? fun? Like, I couldn't resist. I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know how the hell I'm going to get paid or anything, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump in. So what I started doing was basically volunteering. And because I was doing mobile and wearable, my first thing I was doing is can I get an Ethereum node running on my smartwatch? So I actually did, because uh, I've got all these years of C++, I was like, right, can I get cross builds working so that you can have an ARM Linux version of, 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 of that, which you could run on smartwatches, Raspberry Pi, uh, mobile phones. I was going to do Android and iOS as well, uh, and really got involved with Jared Hope, who was doing um, Sing, which became Status, of doing uh, you know, the Ethereum thing. Got involved with John Garretts, who was doing F Embedded, and then, you know, and then he's now Project Open. Uh, getting involved with um, the guys that became Slocket, you know, you had Christoph Jens and those guys talking about the Ethereum, you know, the Ethereum computer. It was the original thing that they were Slocket being the founder and creator of the DAO. Correct, because the DAO was actually created to fund that project of, of having, you know, an Ethereum node that you could run in your, in your home and, uh, you know, that this stuff could become ubiquitous. And originally at DevCon 1, where Christoph announced that, what they said is, hey, we're, we were going to do fundraising, but what we want to do is like be true to decentralization. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to do like the first kind of DAO to fund this project. And somehow, somewhere between DevCon 1 and it actually launching, it went from a DAO to fund that one project, which made sense, to here's a mega DAO for everything on the whole world. It's like, right, we've invented the form of the corporation and we're going to have World Corp. We're going to make World Corp and it's going to do everything for everyone. 
Well, this is a perfect jumping off point for Ethereum Classic because um, at the time, I can't remember the exact percentage, it was a large percentage, I think it was 15% maybe, of, of total Ether uh, that was in, 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 in a while. Um, was locked in the DAO and most of it became compromised yep. um, through a vulnerability in the DAO smart contract. Um, yeah, because I mean, tooling was very immature at that point and it was sort of like the first big thing. Yep. And also there was sort of a little bit so of... It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just um, we invented the concept of the corporation, let's create World Corp, but it was um, we invented the concepts of a corporation in this new frontier, uh, lawless uh, territory. Um, yep. And we're going to try to build World Corp from that. So, so you and know, also, we, because we believe in immutability, we're not going to have any dropbacks or anything. We're just going to deploy it blind. Yep. And because, you know, we don't want to be able to update contracts because that would be a backdoor. So we're just going all in. Was the fourth the right thing to do? Um, I think um, what actually happened there is that event exposed that you had different groups of people within Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in Bitcoin days, everyone was a Bitcoin, that's all it was. But you had a subset of those people that were like, okay, we, we want to do more. You know, we want to have a smart contract uh, functionality. And it was very apparent, well, that ain't going to happen within Bitcoin. You know, you're not going to persuade the Bitcoin board developers that, that you know, that would be a good idea. So, and then it was going to happen on top of, Ma on top of Mastercoin, I think. And then it was, or, or Omni, or I can't remember which. Well, it's the same, isn't it? Um, it was a rename. So you, you just had a bunch of people who were more progressive, you know, more risk tolerant. Uh, and really the way I'd express that is really the Ethereum founders and, and that the kernel of that group, to my mind, were mainstream technologists and social dreamers. You know, they weren't hardcore psychopaths in the same way. They weren't um, you know, radical libertarian crypto anarchists and government haters. It was a bunch of people that were like, here's a good technology and we, we can maybe make a better world. Same with me. Um, but what you had, and it was only apparent when that event came, was you still got some people that were really like Bitcoin philosophy still. Were really like, well, no, like immutability is the whole purpose. You know, you don't tamper with the chain. Um, something bad happens. Tough, Oops, tough, yeah. right? You know, you didn't see Mt. Gox happened and a bunch of people going, right, we should hard fork Bitcoin to restore the funds of all the Mt. Gox holders. That didn't happen. It is slightly different in the sense um, that Mt. Gox, no one knows when the funds were stolen. So there, there weren't any transactions no. rolled back. But I mean, but you know, I, numerous, I, I do numerous events happened in Bitcoin history where if you'd have that same attitude, I, you, I, think, you, I think if um, you know, maybe 15% of Bitcoin today would be about 20, 25 billion dollars. Right. Um, if that much money were stolen from Coinbase, for instance, right. I do think that you would see you serious consideration yeah. around around hard fork and, and Quite possibly. I, I think that most likely um, the winning chain would be the one that rolled back the transactions. Um, that's going to be extremely controversial. I, I can't wait for this episode. Oh, absolutely, I'm going to get harassed for that. But, 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 but um, I, mean, I mean, I think what you really had is is uh, at that point you had this realization that you had people with irreconcilably different points of view yep. of saying, should we interfere? You know, should, should we intervene? Essentially, because this is such a bad thing. And, and look, this guy's a thief. Somebody's stolen our money that was going to be used for infrastructure projects to build this thing. And uh, the it's assumption also, is... It's also the timing, you know, it was... It was so early. A year old. It was, it was really early, so I... I mean, so for myself, my immediate reaction is, of course you shouldn't do anything. But then over that next month, we had the most rigorous open debate, particularly on the Reddit, where, you know, lots of different views were expressed, and it's like, yeah, these are all good arguments on all sides. And, and I think the situation that you had um, is, even within the foundation, lots and lots of foundation developers are like, of course we shouldn't do anything. And, and then they find the guy that they've been working with for a year thinks the other thing, and it's like, I can't believe you. What, you roll it back? You, you would undo it, you change it? Like, fuck you, I can't believe that.
Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess it's like this is how civil wars are. Yep. You know, brothers go to war, and you just, you know, the, the schism is there all the time, but you know, it bubbles to the surface, and you and you get this point. And uh, and I think it was it was it was right that the two fought. Essentially, because it's like it's like the right to secession from the union. It's the right to a divorce. You know, the alternative is that you're stuck in a miserable marriage for the rest of your life, or you basically live under tyranny, saying you're not allowed to leave. Exactly. Um, what what I want to come back to though is you stayed working on Ethereum for quite a while. I did. So I joined. So I joined in the Great Schism. Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, there was some early enthusiasm around Ethereum Classic. It seemed to have petered out um, pretty significantly. Yeah. Um, and you were? Did you join Consensus? Yeah. So um, I. Yeah, so just carrying on from the, my story there. So I ended up basically joining. Uh, um, I was doing my volunteering and building my stuff. The foundation had nearly ran out of money then, right in late 2015. Uh, basically, because the ether price wasn't moving, you know, kind of treasury management stuff like happened last year. Well, and, and the Bitcoin price, yeah, tank, so it was in it, it was in sold at the exact wrong time, right? So, you know, yeah, the, the Bitcoin was held from the sale, there was no conversion, no treasury management, so half, you know, like half of the value had gone immediately, and then you had a year's worth of paying out people in fiat in a bear market. It's exactly the same as the treasury pest management that you know, happened last year. Uh, so, you know, it, it, at one point, the foundation, Vitalik did a post, we've got four months from where left. This was in 2015. You know, like, this stuff's never going to get lived. You know, we're never going to get anywhere, it's just going to die. Uh, so, Ming Chan came in, they cut, it, they cut loads of spending, and the price went up, I think from like 50 cents to $4, something like that. All of a sudden, right, you've got a year and a bit runway. And uh, so one of the cuts that happened was the C++ team, you know, Gavin, which became Parity and Gavin Wood, and, you know, that team basically migrated out. And you've got sort of this abandoned C++ code base that I was helping with. So I, at that point in late 2015, was the only person in the whole world that was helping them. No companies, no one did other individuals help. I helped. I just volunteered my time because I wanted it to succeed. So then in January 2016, when things had turned around, well, guess who's first in the line to get hired? You know, nice Bob that helped. So where I'd been kind of hoping, well, if I do some volunteering, like maybe I can find some job at some startup or something peripherally about, you know, maybe Ethereum or other blockchain. And it turned into, right, you're ushered into the inner sanctum. You're part of the foundation now. It's like, wow. But, uh, so, you know, that was quite an experience. So I was there through uh, October 2016, when I joined Consensus to work on uh, the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance. So that's what I did for the next year. So I was the co-lead architect, along with Shahan, who's you know one of the co-founders of Pegasus, um, just built Pantheon, now Besu. Uh, so you know, I spoke at the launch event. Um, I was the secretary of the technical working group. Then I was the vice chair of the technical steering committee, along with uh, Alex, um, Oh my goodness, Alex! You know, you know Alex. You know Alex. You know from from BMY now. Um, Alex Batman. Yes. Um, and yeah, and I've been involved with with Hyperledger as well. But um, last year, I uh, first met um, Anthony Lusardi, who was the first director of the Ethereum Classic Cooperative um, in Toronto at Adcon in May where he'd been invited by Virgil. So the first ever classic speaker at an Ethereum conference. And, and talk about the state of Ethereum Classic at that point. Because certainly from a price and activity standpoint, things had declined pretty, pretty rapidly. Yeah, I mean, basically, since the time of the fork, very little had happened. There'd been an effort to get the monetary policy, that was one thing that had changed, was right, you know, we're basically going to change the emission schedule to a Bitcoin-like Fixed supply. Well, it's not halving. It's it's fithening. Yep. It's a fithening over however many years. But you know, following that model, on the basis that you you want certainty. You know, one of the primary criticisms of Ethereum has been constant. You know, the Fed fiddling with block rewards and uh, 
you know, complete uncertainty over what future inflation schedule is going to look like. So that was like, right, we don't want that. Because essentially the group that sort of self-selected themselves out into, into Ethereum Classic by not following the forward were really a group that you would say Bitcoin philosophy, Ethereum technology. You know, that they were, they were attracted to Ethereum because of the potential of the technology but unlike the majority of the people in the Ethereum side, they were hard money, conservatism, um, you know, slow and steady, not go fast and break things. And, and in a political sense, I guess you could say conservative Republican versus progressive Democrat, generally. Or another analogy I've heard is um, Bitcoin is male energy and Ethereum is female energy. Well, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go, go that far in that no. direction because that, that's, that's one thing I definitely don't want to get in trouble for. Um, no. But, 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 you know, that you have this sort of duality. Yeah, a bit yin and yang. Sure, sure. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Voyager. Trading cryptocurrency can be tough. I'm not just talking about making smart crypto investments. I'm talking about simply finding the right places to trade. Whether it's a lack of liquidity on key trading pairs, the risk of having your account shut down or coins compromised, or just feeling like a second-class citizen versus the exchange's accredited clients, the deck can feel stacked against you and other retail investors. That's why I'm excited to tell you about a brand new trading platform that just launched called Voyager. Voyager is a fast, 100% commission-free trading app, no bullshit, that helps you trade over 20 cryptos. Best part, Voyager is a licensed crypto broker, so you don't have to worry about your account getting terminated or losing access to coins you wanna trade. Their new iOS app is crazy fast and routes your trades to a network of exchanges so you can get unmatched access to the crypto market and a better price on your trades without having to create multiple exchange accounts and take on that burden yourself. So check it out today. Sign up at investvoyager.com slash Masari to earn $25 worth of free Bitcoin when you download the Voyager iOS app and register. Now, uh, at that point, uh, Ethereum Classic, there weren't, there weren't that many groups working on it. So it was cooperative. Um, one of the entities that was contributing to developments uh, essentially made an announcement around the time they were going under. Well, so what you really had was um, just sort of some volunteers just kept get going. That's, that's how it happened at the very start. Uh, pretty much everyone thought it was just going to die. I thought it was going to die. I, I thought, thought what would happen, because there were no minority chains that had survived at that point. Like, this was a brand new thing. It was a, it, I mean, it was a marvelous thing what happened, really. It's like, wow, we, we know we don't have to be scared of hard force. You know, both sides can get what they want. It's amazing. You can split the universe, and both of them are there. You can even participate on both sides. You don't have to pick a winner. It's not, you know, it's not zero sum. Um, so what, but what you had is, is just some of those volunteers that then had, had sort of walked into this FDEV, uh, sorry, ETC dev group, who were maintaining Classic Geth, so a fork of Geth for Classic. The other um, participants that you had was, was Charles Hoskinson and IOHK. So Charles basically like, you know, rallied to the side of Classic and saying, well, look, I, I felt that as an Ethereum, uh, you know, founder, that I had a responsibility to deliver and help to deliver on that original vision. You know, that it's kind of like a bit of a second bite of the cherry of, 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 of kind of working towards that original goal. But what IOHK did uh, was, so Charles said that you can't really take somebody else's code, start maintaining and say you're a core developer. You know, that doesn't imply competence. Um, really, to really say that and understand the protocol, you need to build your own client. So what he did, which was maybe a little bit controversial or not fully understood at the time was hired a new team of Scala developers, I think like eight or ten of them, and they spent, uh, you know, about two years building a new client. Um, and it's like, well, why are you doing that? Like, you can't even have any nodes on mainnet. You're not even, you know, it's not even ready to go. Um, he also uh, hired a community manager and uh, funded uh, Let's Talk ETC Dev um, podcast. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, basically doing some community things while the tech was, was, was coming along. Mm -hmm. um, you had the co-op was formed um, in September, well, it was announced in September 2017. 
that came out of Grayscale, DCG subsidiary, where um, Grayscale have got the Ethereum Classic Trust. And they've also got the Bitcoin Trust, it's massively bigger than the ETC one, and now they've got an Ethereum Trust as well. Uh, so um, what they did was you have 3% fees on that trust, and 1% one, 1 of that, so a third of those, um, goes to the co-op. So they made a three-year commitment that, that they were going to basically slice off a third of their fees for reinvestment into the ecosystem. If you're an investor in ETC, well, you want a return on your investment. Well, how are you going to do that best? Spend some money on the platform. It's not very hard. So that's what the co-op is. Um, also, uh, um, the Ethereum Foundation have made a donation into that. And the other group that has uh, donated into that is, is, is DFG, which is Digital Finance Group, who have now got a subsidiary, uh, which is ETC Labs, who are one of the major sponsors here at DevCon. And um, so at, at the time I got involved, which was actually only in, in January of this year, I did go to the Ethereum Classic Summit and spoke last in September 2018. But uh, that, that was really my first like hands-on into the Classic side. I'd, I'd interacted with Charles uh, a little bit, at the launch of the EEA, he congratulated me on that and said, well, hey, do you think IOHK could join the EEA? You know, obviously, like, we're doing Classic, but, you know, I don't see, you know, like, Monax to join. that they would publicly say that they think Ether's legal security and all sorts, but, you know, they've got the EEM in common, one particular individual. Um, but, but it's like, well, yeah, okay, you've got, you've got, you've got a primary client, uh, Absolutely. But I mean, that didn't happen at the time. And then I, you know, I've been really trying to defend and help Charles and try and get this reconciliation going on. But uh, what would you say is the core purpose uh, of Ethereum Classic now? You know, yeah. at first um, it was almost uh, a an ethos driven, right. philosophically driven. And, and I think that's how people who have been, yeah. I think that's how people, what people who haven't been following still think. You know, it's a protest coin. Uh, ETC has got no developers. It's a like, you know, it's like coin, coin of Ethereum. That's a, you know, it's it's directionally true. Just if you look at the numbers in terms of the market cap, in terms of transactions, in terms of the number of developers, certainly in terms of all the infrastructure that's getting built around it. You're still talking about clients and right, very remedial uh, bits of uh, well, and and we're a minute. You know, we're like. One thirtieth of like market cap hash rate. Uh, sure, so it's, it's a very small. It's, it's, uh, I think the specific question is not, um, you know, it's not a criticism to say that, that one of these projects is small because everything's small compared yes. to Bitcoin and Ethereum. But the question is, uh, what is the ongoing purpose now? Right? Okay, where where, where where are we? Yeah. And so um, convince me that this isn't just a okay. Bitcoin. So that was <laughs> probably sort of the situation through until early 2018, mm -hmm. that, that it was kind of stagnant, very little going on. And what changed is James Woe. So James Woe is the chairman of ETC Labs and he's the CEO of DFG, the parent group. And, and um, what you really have with James is James is Joe Lubin of ETC. He's the Chinese ETC Joe Lubin. So what you see happening now on ETC, it's kind of like what Ethereum was like in 2015. Oh, there's a good idea? Great, it's going to get funded. Joe's going to fund it, he's just going to fund it. That's, that's what's going to happen. So you, you basically see loads of development activity now happening on Classic, where there just wasn't funding for it before. So we're moving forward. What are some examples? Uh, so some examples, so uh, there is a LLVM EVM project which, which is an alternate Solidity compiler using LLVM. So Solidity Frontend. What is LLVM? LLVM is like low-level virtual machines. So it's a it's a very it's it's a very popular compiler um, framework. So what you're going to have soon is an alternative to the Solidity compiler, which will probably live within Hyperledger, and uh, you are going to have something which is built basically on the same. Sort of professional basis that all of Apple's development tools have got. 
um, or you know a whole range of different mainstream languages happen. So by having a front end and a back end, here you can have a Solidity front end and you've got the code generation for EVM or EWASM. But hey, do you want to write smart contracts in Rust in uh, a constrained domain-specific language? You know, you're going to get that stuff. Is, is, is the alignment with Hyperledger the answer? Is the key differentiator? No, uh, the technology is the key differentiator. The fact that it can happen within Hyperledger Labs um, is, you know, just a quality signal, basically. Uh, I think what you can have that grow into is where with Bezu. You've, you've hit a permissively licensed mainstream language, mature governance, world star team, you know, world all star team, mainnet and enterprise and EA spec. You know, it's just a glory. So um, the co op are funding ETC development, uh, ETC support on Bezu. But then you've also got this work happening on the tooling. So all of a sudden you're going to have, well, here's, here's like a rich. Set of, uh, of 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 um, of smart contract languages can build out of this, where what you've had on the Ethereum side is like this monoculture of everything goes through the Solidity compiler, and you're basically dependent on however much the foundation wants to move that. The EVM has basically been stalled for two years, so you had this proposal from Greg Coleman to add static jumps and subroutines and SIMD instructions and just simple things that any virtual machine would be like, that's very uncontroversial. But it didn't happen because of that tie, because everything's in the foundation and they kind of don't care about F1. So it's almost like a situation of saying, um, okay, everything has to be written in C and you've only got the GCC compiler and the GCC maintainers say to Intel, no, you're not allowed to add new chips uh, you, you can't, can't add, add new instructions, instructions because, because we we're not sure if we've got time to like support that. So don't don't you be making those chips. There, there, there seems to be, and you've been public about this, two, two um, criticisms or categories of criticism that it seems you and, and others from the ETC community have made uh, about Ethereum and the foundation. Um, one is that. They are very focused on the transition to ETH 2.0, right? Yeah. The, it, basically, the die is cast totally. uh, in terms of the transition from proof of work, proof of stake, and, and implementing some of these other protocol improvements that aren't necessarily on the classic roadmap, nor will they maybe ever be. Um, and then the second is around the communications and transparency of the foundation itself. Right. Um, but those criticisms from me go back to 2017 before I had any involvement on the classic side. Got it. It's not new. Um, how related are the two? Uh, they are. Well, I think I think the way that uh, that I would say is the the problem with the foundation is is that opacity. There's no public information. You do recognize the irony of uh, Ethereum Classic or ETC Labs. Sponsoring DevCon, which is put on by the foundation that had funded via developer grant, ETC, right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, uh, I guess the way I'd put it is, at, is what you had. Think of it like this: you've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and the four-year-old's like, "You're so stupid, you little toddler! You can't do anything." And it's kind of true. You know, they are a toddler and they, they can't do anything. And, you know, and the kids fight and, and so on. But then, you know, a few years down the road, you grow up a bit. And maybe the young kid is actually, you know, quite wise in some ways and can do, can do some things better. And, you know, the two of them, do you remember those fights we used to have? Oh, you were such an idiot. Do you remember when you did this? And, you know, but, you know, you can grow up and you can go to the club together and you're, you're brothers. And I think that's really what you have got with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic is, is they are like siblings with lots of differences, but an awful lot more in common. So, but that cooperation couldn't happen until now, and it is happening, but that doesn't mean that the, the values and so on are long-term compatible. I think we're just at a position where it makes sense to do lots of collaboration as we're going through this sort of transitional phase, because F2 and ETC are not incompatible, those are quite complementary. F1 and ETC are very directly competitive, 
Um, but what you're going to what you see now on ETC is people assume that it's still dead. It isn't. There's loads of activity happening, and, 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 and then I joined. And, and I can, I, I, I fix like the, the, the fighting within ETC. So ETC, we're all pulling together now. So we've, we've done a hard force. So we're at Byzantium now. We're going to fast follow on Istanbul. So perhaps within the next six months, ETC is actually going to be caught up and actually go beyond F1. We're going to do some things which are going to be further along. And at that point, you're going to have basically something which, even if you don't care about the ideology, Will it be objectively better? It will have lower gas costs. It won't have the irregular state transition. It won't have the bloat. Um, and it's got funding and support. And it's got the same kind of people being involved. It's going to be a very welcoming kind of, hey, do you want to come and, you know, we're open for business. Do you want to come and have a look? And it's going to be a very, a very simple kind of uh, the, the, the other question, choice. The other question is, um, is our, our interoperability tools are, you know, most of the infrastructure tools that have been built the last couple of years at a point where switching out ETH1 and ETC is trivial, an order of magnitude easier or trivial. It, because it's as trivial as targeting a test net versus the magnet. Because if it's literally a drop down. Because if, if that is the case, then ETC is almost a bit of an insurance policy. Well, well it's more than an insurance policy. I think it's actually a, a, a directly competitive product to F1, which is actually going to be objectively better now in a position where the foundation have, have placed all their chips on F2. And, and, and that's my point, right? So forget about the competition between uh, ETH1 and, and, and ETC today. Yeah. Um, will there be developers or use cases that are, for whatever reason, not excited about the switch to 2.0? Yeah. And say, we don't want to, you know, we're basically building a high value um, settlements, you know, dependence application where. Um, we don't, we don't need this high throughput blockchain. We, you know, we're happy paying fees. We're happy making sure the miners have theirs, you know, pound of flesh, or you know, not even. Yes. Um, and um, and ultimately, just stick with ETH one or whatever the closest alternative is, which would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, how, did, how will that work in practice? How will that happen in practice is uh, when we hit the next hard fork, we'll be in a position where it's very trivial to move between them. And what I would like to do, so we just have the, the Ethereum Classic Summit here in my hometown of Vancouver. I don't want to wait another year for the next summit. I want to do one in June. How many people were at the summit? So we had five. Uh, yeah. Well, um, over 500 uh, ticket reservations, probably a peak of about 300 at any given point, you know, with, with different sets of people moving through over the two days. Um, but yeah, you know, when we had. We, we had Afri there, and, and, and Boris Mann, and, and Brooke, um, and... You're going through a catalog of names that I don't even necessarily recognize. Maybe some of the listeners uh, yeah. will, but... but uh, and, 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 and Virgil from the foundation was there speaking for, for the second year, uh, and I was there. And, you know, really, you... I think what you're going to have on, on the classic side is, like, a very easy community to engage with. So, so the, the way, way that, that I see this playing out is essentially when we hit the next hard fork, it's, it's like, right, we're, we're caught up, we're easy, and um, I, I will be talking to all of the major players in F1, you know, uh, consensus, various consensus fork, uh, you know, uh, spokes, uh, maker, um, status, Aragon, and I think it's like, well, hey guys, you know, can you support both? And it's very trivial for them to do that. And, and if, if we, we have, have that situation, situation where any developer is, is saying, well, look, I could deploy to ETC instead of F, and it's going to be cheaper, and I can actually sync my chain because it isn't bloated. Oh, and if I need more, the scaling can come from state channels, because state channels work now. So you don't have to do everything on layer one, because really the, the, the scaling plan as it exists for ETC is that's a layer two piece. It's like the Bitcoin plan. Apart, apart from with better solutions than, than, than you have with all of the bet that you have on one. You know, what, what, is, what is your primary pitch to these teams? Is it just, look, it's not that hard, and this is 
No, no like the, the pitch will be. The, the pitch will be. This is better. better. Here, here is here is what you would like F1 to be, but it isn't. And we've basically because of just the timing of everything. We've been able to learn from those mistakes and avoid all of those pieces. So you've got a huge, you know, baggage that one is having to carry around and is never going to go away of all of this bloat and so on that is really making it unsustainable. The other thing is, is, is like the gas limit. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have this setup where miners are incentivized to just keep voting it up forever, even though it's destroying the platform. So I think what's going to happen on the classic side is either a user activated soft fork or even maybe a hard fork of, of here where you can have a hard gas limit. Because the tech can't cope. It blatantly can't cope. But maybe that's okay. Maybe you get scaling through plasma and state channels and side chains and you know lots of these things exist now they didn't exist over the last few years so f1 kind of got ruined by everyone trying to do things too early when it wasn't ready um but that won't be the case on classic so if you don't need this high throughput basically if you look what's happening in, in DeFi, maybe DeFi can run forever on etc as is what happened to the dow uh tokens uh, not, not, not the, uh, sorry, not, not the DAO tokens, tokens, but the, 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 the funds, ETC, yeah, that had been stolen. Has that, that kind of washed its way through the system no, now? No. Um, or are, are they still identified? Because that still seems like a pretty sizable overhang to the extent that those yeah. are not known. Um, so, so what you have, and, and, and would you ever, uh, I guess it probably would be against the ethos the project, but would you ever consider a hard fork? Well, well I've, got, I've got another alternative that I'd like to suggest, and I'm going to try, and I think it just might work. So the, 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 the DAO hacker has not really moved the stuff um, on, on ETC. It's just sitting there. Now, what that tells me is that wasn't motivated by monetary stuff. It's an ideology piece. And what I would like to think is that with basically this revival of classics, so classic kind of becomes the Ethereum, the main Ethereum at that point. Um, and we're, we're building, we want to do stuff. I would like for us to establish a DAO on the ETC side. I don't know what, like a wallet DAO or something, or, or a multi-sig or something like that. And I'm going to make a public appeal to the DAO hacker to say, hey, DAO hacker, we can really put that money to good use. Would you like to put it into the DAO? for infrastructure, infrastructure spending on Ethereum, which, which is what the DAO was for in the first place. Because that would be a turn of events. It, it would be. And I mean, honestly think, do you have a suspicion as to who it is? No, no idea. idea. I mean, I mean I you know, people, people, people say, I've, well, I've, I've, heard, I've heard a couple of shocking rumors that I'm not going to repeat because I have no basis, well, no, 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 no evidence. I mean, you know, people, you, you repeatedly hear people say, well, oh, they must have been, you know, an insider, you know, they've got, you'd have to have expertise or whatever. And, and, and I, I think that's bullshit, that mm-hmm. you've got, got lots and lots of clever people in the world. You look at hackers, you know, the, if, if you can hack into a system and whatever, steal some credit cards and sell them for millions of dollars, you know, that's a quite a strong motivating incentive. What you had here with the DAO is, oh my God, you've got hundreds of millions of dollars sitting in a very immature system. People are doing blog posts about potential weaknesses. I absolutely believe that you could have some smart person that's kind of following along vaguely with blockchain and goes, you know, you know what I'm going to do for the next month on my summer holidays, off college or whatever? I'm just going to sit here and see if I can hack into this. And I think some script kitty or clever person just could. And now, you know, there's multiple reasons to never touch those assets again. One, one of which, if it is that type of person, um, you don't know what the legal, legal ramifications are. Right? <laughs> so, well, but you probably want to stay as far away from that as possible. Well, well in, in terms of bringing those funds into into a legal entity, yes. I wouldn't want those funds to be donated to the co-op. Sure. But I'm very happy for them to go into a DAO, which the community, you know, it's a community because there is a community fund, for example, on ETC, but with you know like sixty thousand dollars in it or something. But if that had sixty million dollars in it and was overseen by you know community members and, and the co-op could whatever do the work of vetting projects and recommending and saying, hey, and can you pay these people? Pay these people. 
will be fun to watch. Uh, and Bob, I appreciate you sitting down uh, and talking about the revival of the ETC community and some of the work that you've come out. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, I am Bob Summerwill, so B-O-B-S-U-M-M-E-R-W-I-L-L. Um, uh, BobSummerwill.com as well. I was, I was giving you the German and Swiss treatment by, by turning the W into a V, so Bob Summerwill. Yes, I'm Will. Uh, and the uh, Ethereum Classic Cooperative is etccooperative.org. We've also got ethereumclassic.org is the, uh, uh, you know, the community sort of website, the ethereum.org equivalent, apart from without quite as a unloved history uh, there. Um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, keep your eyes on this space because I think many people completely misunderstand, you know, um, misunderestimate, is that even a word? underestimate what's happening with Classic because their, their information is out of date and they, they don't see and I think people are going to be shocked when this stuff happens in like six months time that, that you're like wow so you guys like you have got purpose you can do stuff and well, it's, it's, yes. it, it is very timely with some of the uh, theory and roadmap transitions as well so uh, I know this is enlightening for me it was for folks listening in the future and I mean the other thing to say is you know Despite, you know, it might, might sound like, well, ha ha, we're going to get the foundation or whatever. I mean, that really isn't the thing either. We, we you know, we're doing an awful lot of collaborative pieces. And the situation really is that because we are catching up, ETC and F1, they, they've got all the same problems. So, you know, how do you do these sustainability pieces, looking at state rent, looking at other, other things? I mean, that's a common problem now. So we are, you know, we're, we're collaborating and working together on all of that. It's just, I think that, ETC kind of cares more that the foundation is really basically all in on, on F2. So it's like, well, we, we're, we're still doing the original Web3. Like, we're doing that, so let, let, let's, let's help. Let, let's work together on that. I think that's as good a spot as any to end. Thank you again uh, for joining. Uh, no problem. Uh, and uh, until next time, everybody, thanks for joining. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.